Is the world divided between good sleepers and bad ones? Do poor sleepers simply have to be content with not sleeping well? In this episode, we'll discuss the skills and ideals that can help you master sleep. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors. This is The Golden Hour. If you're wondering how sleep fits in with OptumWorks' complete theory of growth, check out our all-new online masterclass. In this four-week masterclass, available on OptumWorks.com, Dr. Majors will guide you through all the key ideas of OptumWorks with exercises provided to help you master them. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. I'm Sharif Yunus here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, thanks for coming back. Hey, Sharif. Thanks for having me. Well, Kevin, I realize that it's been now over six months since we've covered the very important topic of sleep. Uh, sleep, as you discussed a couple weeks ago, is, is like a third of the picture of life. Uh, so, yes. And we got this very interesting email that I thought, uh, a question on sleep that I thought maybe I can just, just read here before we dive in. Uh, so this person says, I'm struggling with sleep and anxiety related to work. When I get very busy at work or when I'm behind on a project, my body will not shut down to fall asleep at night. I usually go to bed around 9.30 and get up at 5.15. But when I'm slammed at work, my head will hit the pillow. And though I'm very tired, my body won't shut down for sleep until 1 a.m., which makes it impossible for me to get up on time. Then a difficult sleep-work cycle begins. Specifically, I can feel my heart thumping at a quicker pace when I lay down to sleep. Even when I finally do fall asleep, I frequently wake up with the same sensation. It feels like I'm getting an adrenaline feed at bedtime and through the night, and I can't communicate to my mind and body that I don't need it now. I don't try to fight it and stop it. I try to acknowledge it, welcome it, and wait for it to pass, but that's not working. So this person is applying advice that we've given in previous episodes of striving for the silver medal or basically striving to do the right thing and kind of relax yourself without necessarily aiming for perfect sleep. But it's the person is still expecting to get the gold medal and they're not getting it in the end. They're not getting perfect sleep. Uh, and then another interesting point, I think, is this thing about adrenaline that we always talk about adrenaline is a good thing in the context of work or a challenge. But this person seems to think it's not a good thing here. So what advice do you have? Any initial thoughts? Yeah, Sharif, I think that it's it's a wonderful question. We did talk about in the podcast episode, The Key to Mastering Sleep, this idea of Guy Meadows, um, who wrote the sleep book, which I recommend uh, very highly. Uh, and we talked about how you can't actually control falling to sleep. Adrenaline is a performance enhancer for almost everything except that adrenaline doesn't actually make it easier to fall asleep. So that's, as you could say, an, an, an issue. You know, And if there is any place where adrenaline itself can start to feel threatening, um, it's when you're getting a surge of it right before falling asleep. So what I would say is that in general, we can train ourselves to get good sleep at night by aiming simply to be content, eyes closed, in bed, Playfully labeling whatever experiences we're having until we allow ourselves to naturally drift into sleep. So 
And I think that by and large and over the, in the long run, that kind of approach will always work. But I thought it'd be interesting also to talk about what are some things that people can learn to practice as a way of kind of downshifting the gears in their body so that they get better at, at getting, getting you know, ready for sleep. Uh, so, and I, I can't give advice to this particular email because in fact, there's a lot of different issues that can come up in sleep, but there's, as a psychiatrist, here's how I think about it. It's, it takes some detective work. I would want to know first about any chemicals interfering with sleep. Many times when people have a picture like this, that they can sleep just fine normally, but then occasionally they're really thrown off. It's because they accidentally had caffeine uh, too late in the day. Uh, some people having alcohol, even alcohol much earlier in the day, because alcohol gets broken down into acetaldehyde, which does the opposite on your GABA receptors. So if you have alcohol within a few hours of sleep, you get the alcohol effect. But if it's been more than a few hours, you might actually get the anti-alcohol effect. It's the opposite effect, in which case it can wake you up a bit. Uh, some people have sensitivities that are dietary. So MSG, I think, is, is something here where people accidentally have MSG and then their body gets revved by, by it. Um, supposedly, the quick cure for that is ginger. So to be able to have like ginger ale or ginger tea to, to counteract that. So you really would want to see, you know, is there anything going on here with, with uh, a dietary thing that, you know, it could be chocolate that's too late because it has caffeine in it, just to make sure that there aren't reasons that the body is getting revved at night. But then once you've done all that chemical detective work, then you look at the psychological stuff. And the, the kind of the two big things that make it hard to sleep are dread and rushing. So dread would be that they are dreading getting a bad night's sleep. And it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, all self-fulfilling prophecies like that are undone by reframing. To Instead of just seeing the bad outcome looming, you see the practice you're aiming to get. And you start to think of yourself not as just having trouble sleeping, but being on a learning curve, learning how to gradually get better at some things. The second thing is, is rushing. And with rushing, if you're going, 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 and then just getting to bed, well, it's kind of probably not going to work for most people. So you would, you would want to have at least an hour of doing nothing. Um, an hour at least, maybe more, away from screens. It could be that the work that this guy is doing is involving screens that have a lot of blue light. And so you can get blue light filtering glasses that, that uh, make it easier. It can simply be that having too bright a light, overhead light, blue light, ends up resetting his circadian clock, and now he's not ready to sleep for another three hours or four hours. So, so you start doing experiments, either getting away from the screen for more and more time, especially computer screens, or using blue light filtering glasses. They don't have to look yellow. They could look clear. Uh, so uh, they, uh, Warby Parker makes good ones. So you, so you can find good, um, good solutions like that.
Now, quick quick question about that. Uh, if you're doing these types of experiments, how long would you have to carry them out before you can get a, okay, this was the problem or not? Would it be the first first time you do it that night? You can, you, you can either sleep better and, and know that it worked, or would it take a week of doing it consistently or more? Well, it might take, if a person has a bad night's sleep, you know, say they got some hidden source of caffeine or perhaps if there are those sensitive like MSG and they end up being having a very hard time sleeping one night. Well, in that case, they might then get a little bit of a tougher time for a while until things go back to normal. You know, and so, but ideally, if it's, if it's a pretty stable pattern and you make a change like avoiding caffeine or blue light or having a better, longer wind-down routine before you go to bed, you should start to gradually see things soon, but the full effect may not come for a couple months. Or now you feel like it's like there's something in the background growing um, that I think of as sleep confidence. And you know, I, I think sleep confidence is one of these things. It's a skill that could look like a trait. Some people just got good at it when they were younger, being confident that they can just fall asleep when they need to fall asleep. And so as a result, those people don't tend to try to fall asleep. They don't try to push themselves to sleep, which in fact wakes people up. So they end up being able to naturally fall asleep. So you can either have like a dietary chemical issue, you can have a psychological issue, but underneath all that, the body is really good at sleeping. If it's not being interrupted by chemistry or psychology, the body is excellent at sleeping and at getting the sleep that it needs. I mean, it's how your brain should be spending about a third of its time. And the body is really good at it. Which is why we always talk about in optimal work that sleep really benefits from benign neglect. Not being too careful about it, so you're not psychologically getting wound up about it, and that would make it harder. And that you're not relying on chemicals to do anything with it. But instead, let the body's natural ability to sleep simply exert itself over time. And then what you feel is you just get more and more confident about sleep as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned of the psychological factors, dread and rushing. Now with, with dread, sometimes when we talk about it in the context of work, part of the job of reframing dread is to get your adrenaline working for you. But as you pointed out earlier, that's not exactly what you want to do here because adrenaline doesn't really help you fall asleep. So I can imagine someone with a big presentation the next day and they're dreading it or thinking about it or trying to it's hard to get their mind off it so they're just plant basically planning it out in their heads as they're trying to fall asleep and that makes them nervous about it and that's the adrenaline and that keeps them up is that part of the cycle you're talking about and if so what do you do about it yeah so i think there are skills to be learned at some of um heightening your body's relaxation response not everyone knows how to relax. And I bet we would all agree, if you were really good at relaxing, that you could just turn, on, turn it on and relax totally, it would be a lot easier to, in general, fall asleep. And relaxation is something you can learn to practice. Okay, so there are different things people can learn to practice in the daytime 
that do transfer to having an easier amount, an easier time with sleep at night. Sometimes it's hard to practice these things when you're in bed having a hard time sleeping. So it's better that you have a regular daily practice to build the skill. Okay, so one of these uh, is doing some kind of mindfulness of the body. There's something called a body scan, you know, where you simply feel the sensations, first the face, then the whole head, then the neck, and then shoulders. You just kind of work your way down, trying to open up fully to the sensations there and just there might not be anything there, but you're just progressively working through the whole body. That's in a sense the most simple form of this. The next ramped up version is you are mindfully aware of the whole body starting at the head, start with the face, but this time as you exhale, you relax the face totally for the duration of the exhale. Then you have a slow inhale and you relax the whole head and jaw as you're exhaling. And then another slow inhale and you relax the neck as you're exhaling. So you learn to progressively just go down. It doesn't really matter how many groupings you make. What matters is that in general, it's heading away from your head towards the feet. And so you just learn to progressively go through and accentuate the relaxation phase, which always happens when you're breathing, by deliberately relaxing as you exhale. Now with that, you are actually getting better at relaxing your body. And that cannot help but relax the mind. The highest form of that is called progressive muscle relaxation. And it's essentially the exact same thing, but here, as you're inhaling, you tense the muscle and hold it for a few seconds and then release it and relax it as you exhale. That could be a little bit activating if done in bed, but these other ones are purely relaxing, deactivating, and can be done in bed once you've learned to do them outside of bed. You can spend five minutes doing it. You can spend 10 minutes. I, I know I've told people about this and... Um, and they've had the experience where in a minute or two, they're asleep, you know, uh, that uh, just from starting, they don't get to the feet. They start with the head and just let the breath be natural. And then second, the relaxation response in different parts of the body as they exhale. So the idea here is that relaxation is a skill you can get good at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that would put you to sleep pretty quick. I was trying to follow along with you as you were telling me about it and I almost... Fell asleep, so I had to stop. Uh, so I could. Oh, good. I hope you're not driving a car right attention. now. No, I, I'm not. Don't worry. Uh, so now, so so that I mean, that seems helpful. That seems like, given the the this person's question, it seems like just doing that alone would basically solve all of his problems. Yeah, I know. Um, in the master class feedback, someone said that they had had you know long-standing trouble sleeping, and they started doing the body scan once a day and they realized like later that their their sleep got all better that uh you know and they i don't think in their mind were actually con trying to connect the two but they they just noticed this cause and effect so i think that once you get good at relaxing you can learn to relax in any little moment of mindfulness throughout the day 
And then generally, you stop your body from getting so wired. So I think if you're having a hard time sleeping, the moment of trying to fall asleep is not where you start looking. You start looking earlier in the day, what can be changed? How can you decompress things a bit? There's another fascinating form of breathing work, just to mention here, uh, because it can be practiced very easily throughout the day. Um, It's four, seven, eight breathing. Uh, And there is an app called Breathe, with an E at the end, that is free and just designed to be used for four, seven, eight breathing. And so it's easy to get that app. And what what you do is you inhale for four seconds, and then you hold for seven, and then release for eight. And I think they encourage you to make a whooshing sound like as you're, as you're exhaling, but breathe in through the nose, hold for seven, and then release whooshing for eight. And you simply do that eight times, twice a day. So it doesn't take long to do it all. And I think they have data actually that this is, this has been researched a lot. Um, the, uh, I believe that Andrew Huberman in his podcast has talked about this work and done work they did at Stanford on that technique. Why four, seven, eight? It's hard to say. Uh, it certainly requires deliberation, but I, I have shared that with patients who have found it immediately helpful. There is something special about it. Um, so I think other other you know people you know when you're when you're dealing with the mind in bed, the the guy Meadows approach is to be practicing contentment with eyes closed, doing nothing, and then. Playfully labeling experiences as they arise. Could be just, oh, there's that thought. Okay, now just noticing this feeling, now noticing this. But to get you, in a sense, disengaged from talking in your head. Uh, And that's a skill, just to be noticing things, letting them pass by, quickly noting them. And then you can hover in that spot. And that is a really wonderful place to then enter naturally into sleep. You can't push yourself into sleep, but you can learn to get in the right position and then you just tip into it. Uh, I think the um, others, we will use um, visualization while doing the sequential relaxing, starting at the head, going to the feet, and then just imagine yourself someplace safe, familiar, calm, so that you kind of are like putting a seed for a dream to start from it, you know, and then just making a slight effort to keep your thoughts from happening. And so there are like, it's a little skill. Uh, the uh, one funny thing about just mentioning here about the thoughts in your head, if you can make the, vo- the sounds of the thoughts in your head more soporific, tired, quiet, uh, and whatever thought you have, you have it in a tired, quiet, soft voice, it actually helps you fall asleep. Um, I habitually read before, you know, before actually going to bed. I like to make sure that I have a little bit of drowsiness in me before I go to bed. So, you know, but I don't like, think, I don't think reading in bed is good. Uh, it's better to not associate reading and work with being in bed, but, but nearby. And then once the wave of drowsiness comes over, uh, then sleep comes pretty fast usually after that. But I have to say, sometimes if it feels like I'm reading and the drowsiness wave isn't coming, just slowing down the reading tone and making the voice more kind of hypnotic in my head, then then I get a wave of drowsiness and it's much easier. In the Paul McKenna book, I Can Make You Sleep, 
that's his main, I think his biggest trick, just change the tone of the voice in your head to make it compatible with sleep. Because when people are worrying, their voice is actually incompatible with sleep. Yeah, it's interesting. So now, now with these things, it seems like we're uh, posing sleep as kind of a problem that has to be solved. And so all these issues with sleep are about obstacles to sleep and we want to kind of overcome them. Uh, are there any, but to contrast that with uh, our view of work and distraction and anxiety, that these, we're not just seeing these things as problems to be solved, but as presenting opportunities and that there's this world of ideals that now we can engage if we learn how to work at our best. Uh, now, so it might seem like a kind of odd question, but are there any ideals that we can engage when it comes to sleep? Or is it just a kind of negative, struggling with obstacles? That's a, that's a really great question. Uh, and thanks for asking. I think it's a very, um, you know, this is very much, isn't it? The approach of optimal work is trying to always be seeing how is this an opportunity to grow in, in ideals? Um, and it's true that as a clinician, I'm usually focused on vicious cycles and how to interrupt those. Um, and so, you know, people with insomnia, undersleeping, oversleeping, each of those involve vicious cycles. But I think you're right. There are virtuous cycles that begin with certain skills that you learn to practice. You know, and so I think we could even put in the category, like the stuff I was talking about, learning how to relax, learning how to gently guide your mind in, in the tone of voice, you know, as you're trying to sleep. Those are all skills that are helpful. But then if I could ask it this way, what ideal are those skills really serving? Um, you can help me think about this. I think detachment is a really big one. I think there's a sense of detaching, letting go of outcome pursuit, letting go of work, trying to get things done. So if we're going through our day trying to get things done and we're rushed, sometimes our brain will find the time in bed. Oh, well, here's a time he's not or she's not doing anything. Let's go get it done now. Yeah, and, so then, and then you start solving problems in your head at night. Uh, I think that's something to aim for there is a total detachment. Uh, there can also be a sense of trust and abandonment about the next day. You know, it's like let go of trying to tightly control how the next day unfolds. That's a kind of detachment as well. Uh, so you could see sleep as an act of entrusting yourself, you know, and the whole next day. You know, and so you're letting go of controlling it. You know, and it will be okay when it comes. You know, and things, there will always be a way for whatever comes to bring out the best in you. And you don't really have to f control it in advance. So letting go of control, letting go of you know, your own thought control, your own trying to effortfully fall asleep, certainly that breaks vicious cycles. But it also seems like this kind of detachment and peace is a unique way of building up virtuous cycles you know, guided by those ideals. And you could think of like, what would your best sleep look like? Not in terms of just getting sleep done effectively, you know, seven and a half hours, no interruptions, you know, five perfect sleep cycles. <laughs> so, you know, that, uh, that would be one thing. But really, I think, wouldn't it be better if you felt like you were somehow communing with your deepest ideals and bonds throughout the whole time? of sleep, that it became very meditative, 
or you know, experience or very recollected prayerful experience, that would be the, but I think as an even further kind of goal to have on the other side of simply being completely detached and trusting. Mm-hmm. Well, those are maybe nobler ideals. I was just thinking of self-mastery or something like getting tougher. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, those, those are probably like the smaller skills that come. Those are like the, the ideals closer to the skills. Mm-hmm. It's really mastering those particular skills. But even the self-mastery has to be serving something higher. And then can yep. serve detachment, trust, bonds. Yeah, that's great. Uh, now I have a quick question to throw in here, which is, is it helpful to be monitoring our sleep? Yeah, that's a very tricky question. Um, there, are, there are devices like Whoop, um, which are excellent at monitoring sleep. Um, sleep Cycle is an app that people use. I think that they should be used... Um, perhaps occasionally as a way of assessing. Now, whoop is a commitment, you know, and sleep is a part of the whole thing. But, and, but, and the concern is that uh, you get too careful about sleep and you get greedy about sleep. And so any kind of sleep greed, it's like an attachment to sleep. That's actually what can often gets the, the vicious cycle started. Uh, so at least the ones of insomnia or oversleeping. So if you are learning things that are helpful and like tracking, it's like, oh yeah. So you know, whenever I, you know, like I, this night was bad, this night was bad. What was the common thing here? And then you realize, oh yeah, those are both times that I had that latte or whatever. Okay. It can be helpful for self-knowledge. But other than helping you make some correlations like that, um, I don't think it's going to be especially helpful to be monitoring sleep. Yeah, it, it seems to me like it, it could be also helpful over longer time frames. Okay, if you use it for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and you don't, you're not really checking things day to day, and then at the end you look and you say, okay, overall, how's my sleep doing? If it's way off, maybe I need to do something about it. But if you're if in the morning you're like, how was my sleep last night? And then that's gonna set expectations for your day. If you see that you had bad sleep, you're gonna have negative then expectations. You're gonna be I predicting a bad day. Problem. Yeah. So I, I think that could be a problem too. Uh, yeah, you don't want any self-fulfilling prophecies to be at work. Mm-hmm. And so and that's the problem sometimes with Whoop, is that it'll tell you your recovery score is really low. But if you didn't check that in the daytime until the night. And they're like, it was a great day today. I wonder, what, you know, how was last night? And Oh, wow, last night was terrible. That happened all the time to me, that I would have really great days. But then it, it seemed like, so I felt like sometimes there wasn't much correlation, you know, between what it was said was a bad recovery and my experience of that day, which is generally positive. So again, you have to, I think you should have specific questions you're trying to answer, and then you can use these things maybe as a way of helping to answer them. Maybe less as just an endless self-discovery about sleep because it tends to then turn sleep into an end in itself and rather than something that is serving the rest of life. Great. Well, Kevin, that's, that's all we have for today. That's all our time. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? I, I think that there are things that people can learn about sleep that are different than what you can learn in work. Because sleep involves more emphasis on skills of letting go, of not controlling, 
of maintaining a kind of inner silence. Um, but anytime people can throughout the day practice micro moments of that, realizing they're getting too bent on some outcome or too determined about something, their heart too set on, they can practice those ideals of detachment and peace increasingly throughout the day, maybe scheduling in times to be practicing um, some you know, progressive muscle relaxation or some kind of mindful body scan you know, or doing the four, seven, eight breathing for certain times in the day. I think if people practice those things, seeing this helping them to attain detachment and peace, sleep will, as a rule, tend to be improving. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. We'll be back next week. All right. Thank you, Sharif. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.